Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story Reading. The song that we're going to be listening to in a moment is called Fields of Gold, and it is written by Sting and and it came out in 1993. I I read a little bit about this. It's not a complicated song. It's about a relationship and one that kind of goes from the beginning of that relationship on through the end of that relationship and how they are remembering one another. And so this is Fields of Gold by Sting. As I was listening to this song this week, I was reflecting on the relationship that my grandma and grandpa had with each other, this relationship that spanned over 50, 60 years of life together before my grandmother passed away and then eventually my grandfather. And when Sting wrote this, one of the things he commented on was that they bought this house in England and outside in the backyard was this field of barley, which is where this song was inspired from, imagining himself growing old with his wife and looking out over that field year after year, season after season. Um, And just, you know, like the field grows old, so would they. Um, And as the field would remain, so would their love. And it made me think about the different things that I look out at or that my grandparents looked out at and what kind of gave them a sense of home or place. Um, You know, my grandparents' house in Plymouth not just a nice little ranch, you know, style house, nothing elaborate, nothing crazy. They added on to it partway through their marriage, but there were these birch trees that were out in the front yard. And forever, birch trees have always been special to me. And I think it's because of my grandparents' house. That was the thing we played in. That's the thing that we drove up to. And we always knew we were there when we could see the birch trees. I mean, it was just the thing that we saw. When my wife and I moved into our house in New Brighton, one of the fun features of it is the backyard. Even though it's a suburb and even though there's houses all around, it's a runoff for Rice Creek. And so there's a pond in the back that's surrounded by all these houses. And a few years into living there, we shoveled it off and the kids would play hockey and boot hockey and whatever. And then eventually some other neighbors moved in and he, the dad was a little bit more adventurous than I was. And he's like, I'm going to bring goals down. And I'm gonna, and he's like, we should buy lights. And I was like, I'll do that. Um, and so we bought lights and we put them up. And so every winter, almost every night, we have lights up on the hockey rink and the kids are playing in the backyard. And what's been really fun is that we've had neighbors who have been in that neighborhood for 60 years or so or 40 years or so. And they've come up to me and they've said, we love when the lights are on in the winter. And I'm like, really? Like, 
kind of thought it was bright. And they were like, no, it just reminds us of all of our kids playing back there year after year, winter after winter. And so seeing your kids playing hockey in the backyard or sledding, it just reminds us of our home and it just feels right to see kids back there again. You know, I think about my wife's grandparents' house and they had this big, beautiful tree and this huge swing. And you could swing probably almost 20 feet up in the air because it was such a long swing. And it was always dangerous because if my brother-in-law, Todd, was pushing, the kids would go flying and we would always get worried. And he'd be like, they're going to be fine. I was like, yeah, until they fall. Um, but that tree recently had to come down. It got old and, and it, was, it was needing to come down. And I just thought about, man, you know, I wonder what it means to look out that front window now without that tree in the swing there reminding them of all that's taken place in that yard and in that house. And I wonder what it is for you when you think of the places you've lived that have been home for you, that have had a sense of belonging, whether that's someone else's place, like a grandparent's house or your parents, or whether it's been a house that you grew up in or had kids in or had family, or if it was a friend's house that just felt like a safe place to you. I wonder what it was like to look out on that place and just feel like you belonged and that you were at home there. I think that's so important to feel that sense of belonging, that sense of home. And I think that if I understand the scriptures at all, I think it's that God is inviting us to create that for people, to create that sense of home and belonging. The challenge is, is that we live in this modern consumeristic world where we want everything really quickly. You know, we want it really fast. You know, it's that 30 minutes or less and the pizza's at my door. It's the, I can, you know, pop my order in to Target, pull up, and if someone's not at my car in two minutes, I'm wondering where they are and why isn't it in the back of my trunk? And, you know, can I get on the road quickly? And we just have this immediacy to life that doesn't fit well when it comes to creating belonging or creating safe place or when it comes to a life of discipleship. What does it mean to be consistent and to be engaged over the long haul. I think that's what God is inviting us into. Part of the problem is our conception of God. We have this idea that God is this kind of super being up in the clouds, that if we pray the right thing, say the right thing, put the right amount of quarters into the machine, then it'll spit out what we want. And we hope that it happens right now in the way that we want it, the way that we've imagined in order for our lives to be the way that we want them to be. And our conception of God is that God is like us, but just way better. You know, we're, we're finite, God's infinite. We're only here, God is everywhere. We have this idea that God is a little bit like us, but just way, way better. It's a Superman idea of who God is. Problem is, I don't think that's the best conceptualization of who God is. I don't think that God is just this super being that we call upon to rescue us. I think that there are better conceptualizations of who God is that we may need to explore and wrestle with and have mess with us a little bit, that growing idea. In order to be reconcilers, in order to be home and to create belonging, in order to create, remove those barriers that get in the way of healthy relationship, we might need to have other conceptualizations of who God is. Paul Tillich talks about God being the ground of being, that everything that exists comes from God, that it springs up from God, that God is source. There's also a, the idea, I think Anselm talks about God as God is the thing that is beyond comprehension, and that it's the name that we give to the thing beyond the thing. 
that we give the name of God to the thing that we can't name. That's why when Moses is standing before the burning bush and says, well, who are you? The answer that God gives is, I am that I am. It's basically, you don't get to name me because then you think you get to control me. I am that I am. I just am. And then it's like, well, can I see you? No, but you get to see where I was. There's a story in the Bible of, of Moses wanting to see God, and God says, no, it's too wonderful for you, but you can, you can see where I was. So God passes before Moses, and then Moses can see where God had been. It's this idea that God is more than what we can possibly imagine. Some philosophers talk about God as God as event, that we find God not in our words for God, trying to name God, trying to understand God, trying to rationalize God, but that God is the thing in the event of life that is bringing about justice and grace and ultimately love. That when we see true, beautiful, sacrificial love happening, we are witnessing an act of God in our midst. I love how one of my favorite speakers put it. He said, it's not what, but how. It's not what, but how. And I think this applies to relationships as well as to religion. So let's start with relationships for a second. We can have something called a marriage, but it might not really be a marriage. It might not be two people that are loving each other and sacrificing for one another, are trying to make each other better. It might, you might say, well, what is it? Well, it's a marriage, but it doesn't represent the things that we would want a marriage to represent because the how, how is this a marriage is not being lived out. So the question for us as people who may find ourselves in relationship to others, it's not just what we label this. It's a really good friendship. Well, when was the last time you spoke? Right? This is my best friend. I, I, I have a couple of really good friends, and I, I, I used to say they're my best friends, but I haven't called them in a long time. I think it's, and it's on me. Uh, and so how that friendship exists is not representative of how I want to label it. What it is is not matching the how it is. And I think it's the same thing in religion. We can say we know God. We can say that we represent Christianity or we represent Christ or we're part of Christ's body. But the question isn't just what we label it. The question is how are we living it? How are we living it? And I think that's part of what Jesus is getting at when he's trying to help people understand the invitation to God's kingdom, or as we often call it, God's kingdom, this this sense of relational wholeness, this thing that God is up to in the soil of the ground and in the lives of humanity, that God is up to something, and it's this invitation into God's kingdom, into this kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. I had a friend down in Tennessee who once said it this way, it's a network of interconnected love. And I love that my friend Mike named it this way, Because it gets beyond just the label. We like to slap really quick labels on things as if we'd all know what we're talking about. So if I say the kingdom of God or the reign of God or the kingdom of God, all those are fine and they have their own nuances to them and they're beautiful and wonderful, but that's the what it is. How are you living it is more important. I'm glad you identify with it, but the question now is how is that being manifest in you? How is that coming forth from you? 
Is it truly a network of interconnected love? That song, Fields of Gold, got me thinking about agriculture naturally, and I don't often think about agriculture. Uh, It's not the top of mind for me, uh, but it got me thinking about things that grow and like things that last and the cultivation of the ground. And that really naturally led me to Matthew chapter 13, which is when Jesus is trying to give them a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like, the kingdom of heaven. And he tells them this parable. He said, this is the way Jesus put it. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And I love this parable because I think it speaks to a few different things. I think it speaks to getting at the how, not just the what is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God or the reign of God. It gets at something deeper. It gets at the how, not just the what. Because we really should be asking, how am I supposed to live this out? And the how do I live this out is, as Gene talked about, the discipleship journey. It's the journey of being a disciple of Christ. And here's the thing about being a mustard seed. It starts humble. It starts by dying, getting buried in the ground and covered with dirt. And nothing happens for seemingly a very long time the first thing we have to remember is that it starts humble. Are we willing to have that type of humility, to sacrifice our own place, who we think we are in the world, in order to have something more dynamic grown? Second thing is exactly what I was talking about. It's that patience, that being a mustard seed, this idea of discipleship, idea of building God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, it is going to require Patience. One of my favorite authors, Donald Miller, was talking about discipleship in one of his talks that I heard him give. And he said, uh, if you want to understand the discipleship journey, go sit in the, in the forest with a lawn chair, get a Polaroid camera, take a picture of the forest, shake it out and look at it, and then wait 30 minutes, take a picture, shake it out, look at it, and compare the two and just see how much has drastically changed in those 30 minutes. And of course, everyone's looking at him funny, like, what are you talking about? Nothing would change in 30 minutes. And he goes, that's exactly the point. Discipleship is not something that happens quickly. We can't microwave this. We can't put it in an air fryer and expect it to come out beautiful and wonderful. Thank God for air fryers. Um, But we just can't expect the discipleship journey to be like that. We can't expect God's kingdom to have an impact in our world overnight. Doesn't work like that. We want it to. Man, I wish we could change the systems of our world overnight. I wish we could take the prison system, especially the private prison system, where the government's literally just paying prisons to house people. It's, it's awful. It's, it's, we don't, okay, I don't need to get political. Just trust me, it's disgusting. I wish that we could change that system. I wish we could change the education system. I wish we could change the financial system. I wish we could change the systems that have oppressed people for year after year and generation after generation that have historically not allowed certain people to sit at the table. I wish we could change the systems of our world fast, but they are not changing quickly because true change, true heaven on earth doesn't happen overnight. It takes generations of perseverance. It takes lives of sacrifice. 
It takes a Moses leading people out of Egypt into the wilderness and then getting to the precipice of going into the promised land and then the Lord saying, it's not for you. It's not for you. Moses dies in the wilderness just before they go into the promised land. That's a seed that was planted and grew but didn't get to see all of the fruit of that growth. What if that's our lives? What if that's our discipleship journey? What if that's our part in the big grand scheme of God's kingdom? What if we help through the wilderness and then that's it? The final thing is that like a mustard seed, discipleship in God's kingdom, the flourishing of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, it encourages flourishing. I love the idea that it's not just about a seed planted in a garden that becomes a great tree. That would be a really cool parable. I think sometimes people think it stops there, that it just stops with, hey, this thing that started out really small, it became really big. So don't worry. If you get trounced on your whole life, one day you'll be the big tree. That sounds like a nice Hollywood movie. That sounds like something overcoming the odds. That, that just sounds wonderful. But that's not the end of the parable. The parable doesn't say that the seed just became a tree. It says that it became a tree and the birds of the air took nest in that tree. We have to encourage the flourishing of what's around us. We have to encourage this thing to hum better beyond just us. Our discipleship journey is not for us. That's why it starts with humility. That's why it requires patience, so that we learn that ultimately this isn't about me, it's about we, and it's about the flourishing of you. And that when you flourish, I flourish. When you grow, I grow. When we are working together, this whole thing works better together. You know, in thinking about the discipleship journey, about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, it, it's hard not to think, especially in light of that song and in light of the birch trees and the tree with the swing and the, the pond with the lights, it's hard not to imagine what does it look like for a life to be well lived. My wife does this thing with students at times where she asks them to write their own eulogy, which sounds super morbid, and it is, uh, but it's actually a really beautiful exercise. She asks them to sit down and write, what would you want people to say about you at the end of your life? And she's done this with 18-year-olds and 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds, different people at different stages of life. And it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful what people write that people want to have lived a life where people know they've been loved, where people know that what they did was for the betterment of the world around them, that they tried to make a difference in the lives of the less fortunate. So much of what people write in a eulogy about themselves is just beautiful flourishing. It's kingdom of God type stuff. It's loving the kingdom and being an example of it. And it's so great to have that be what you're a part of. But the work of being human is how you're going to get there. How are you going to get there? And I think that as we go on this journey, as we 
embark on discipleship, this long walk in the same direction where we're headed towards God's justice and grace, where we're headed towards an embodiment of love, as we're headed towards creating belonging and justice for people, as we're going in that direction and we're seeing a little bit more of these shards of heaven sprinkling down on us as we go and we see it more and more and we have it happen in our lives, we see God showing up. Because God is not just some being in the clouds waiting to judge us, waiting to dole out presents, little answers here and there. Instead, God is in the midst of all of those moments saying, I'm right here with you. I'm in this. I'm in this with you. Now let's show up together. Let's pray. God of grace, God of the barley field, God of rope swings and hockey rinks, God of places of belonging, God of justice, God who shows up in prisons, God who shows up in those little moments of seeing a friend that we haven't seen for years, God who is with us in every moment of life, no matter how hard or how beautiful. We are grateful that you're with us. Will you give us glimpses of your presence? Will you give us those little moments where when we see a tree, when we see a person, when we see uh, something happening in our world, it just reminds us that love is present, that you are present, that you are found in the midst of all these things. God, may we see your presence and may it inspire us to remain humble, to remain patient, and to remember that this is all about the flourishing of your world. May we embody the kingdom of God. May we see it, even in small glimpses. In the name of Christ we pray. We are Peace United Methodist Community. We're a community that is reconciling and growing for everyone. And every time we say that word reconciling, what we mean by that is we are trying to remove the barriers. And this definition of reconciling is one that I got from my friend, Dr. Sean Moore, who's a pastor down in, in South Minneapolis. And he defines uh, reconciliation as removing the barriers that are in the way of healthy relational dynamics. We need to remove the things that cause us to not have healthy relationship with God, that cause us to not have healthy relationship with one another, with, with our world and within ourselves. And so the idea that, that we are trying to live by is how can we do good reconciling work? And part of that takes growth. We have to be willing to challenge ourselves, stretch ourselves, see ourselves as, as in process, right? No matter how young we are or how old we are, we are in process and God has still got something to do with, for us and with us. And so we are excited to continue growing. A couple of quick announcements before we dive in with our uh, call to worship and the invitation of the bell today. Homespun Chamber Music Collective. This is a brand new announcement. I got it yesterday. Our choir director, Laura Clapp, has put together a small ensemble of friends that have started a new music collective. They're calling Homespun Chamber Music Collective. And she gave me something to read to you all. And here's what it says. The choir director, Laura Clapp, would like to invite the, the whole Peace UMC community to a concert of chamber music with Homespun Chamber Music Collective. Laura is the co-founder of this Twin Cities-based organization that seeks to marry community spirit and professional artistry. The concert features both singers and instrumentalists, 
and the repertoire spans a wide range of musical eras and styles, including a Bach cantata, a vocal jazz arrangement, a Jesse Montgomery string duo, and more. Shows are Friday, August 4th at 7 p.m., and Saturday, August 5th, at also at 7 p.m. Um, if you are interested in going, I put a couple of the flyers on where the treats are. You can just like snap a picture of it, so that way you have the information. Also, in the Tuesday news this week, I'll put links if you want to buy tickets in advance to go to go see um, Laura and and the Music Collective. So really encouraging of this. I, I first heard about this uh, in the spring. She we were grabbing coffee, and she's like, "I got this idea, and my friends and I are going to get together." And we're basically going to not do anything but play music together for two full weeks. And we're just going to eat together, play music together, and we're going to put together a concert series. And we're really excited about it. And so this is kind of an outgrowth of, of what she was planning. And so we're really excited for her. We're also doing a school supply drive. The deadline for this is August 13th, so it's a few Sundays from now. You can bring your supplies here to the church. You can also offer financial assistance by putting um, some money or a check in the offering plates. Um, and if you do so, just mark down like school supply drive uh, or school supplies, and that way we make sure to get it to Amanda, who's going to be bringing the supplies to um, the Good Neighbor Center, where we're going to be giving out the school supplies that we have. In the Tuesday news this week, I will list some uh, specific supplies. So if you're curious what they need, I'll, I'll make a list of things for you so that you know what to grab. Because there are some things that we need more of and some things that we don't need. And so we want to make sure to highlight what's needed. Coming up August 8th, we have a men's uh, connection time. We're going to be grabbing lunch together uh, Tuesday, August 8th. So make sure that you come with a lunch and ready to hang out for all the gentlemen in the room. And then finally, uh, Sunday night, the 13th, we're going to be doing a family game night. And that doesn't mean that you have to have little kids. It's helpful if you just find a few on the street and bring them along. Um, but actually, don't do that. That's illegal. Um, <laughs> um, but it's for the entire church community family. We want everyone to just come and have some fun. We'll have hot dogs if you want to bring a side to share. We'll, we'll have desserts and drinks as well, some s'more stuff. And we'll be ready to light a big campfire out there and, uh, and ha have some lawn games and have some fun. If it's raining, we'll just come park it inside and bust out the board games. If it's not raining and we have a bonfire and we're all outside and Heidi's here, we, she may be waiting for you inside to play board games anyway. So she just wants, want, right, Heidi? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. May your light shine. May it shine everywhere you go. May it shine because you're willing to be humble, you're willing to be patient, and you're willing to do what's necessary to see the flourishing of all that's around you. May you see glimpses of heaven meeting earth. May God's kingdom and kingdom, may the reign of God be present in your life and in every life you touch. Go in grace, go in peace. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.